Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Talking FTD. We are without Jerry today because she had knee replacement surgery, and I hope I didn't scare her off with my broken femur. <clears throat> We're very honored today to have Rebecca Wilson with us. She's an MSW and a dementia care specialist. She's a trainer and aging care coach with 14 years of experience in elder care services, including hospice, home health, assisted living, care management. And in these arenas, she has used her specialties in teaching, community outreach, marketing, developing innovative strategies for providing comfort care for seniors and their care partners. She's presented at local, state, and national conferences as a trainer on Alzheimer's disease, frontotemporal dementia, behavior management, navigating transitions, and other caregiving topics. She serves as a dementia care coach, mentoring care partners in developing individualized, non-pharmacological interventions and innovative care solutions. We welcome you, Rebecca. Thanks for attending today. Thank you for letting me spend this time with your group. I'd like to start out, uh, what has come to, up to me recently, obviously because of this femur break, is that having a solid group of support is so important. And I know a lot of people struggle with how to do that. And I was wondering if you could just uh, go over some of the things that you feel people need to do in different areas of the country to build their support network when something like this happens and now you're the care E instead of the caregiver. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing your experience and how you have learned to reach out for support maybe in a way that you might not have been comfortable to do so otherwise. So absolutely, having a care team is so very, very important for the person living with the diagnosis of FTD as well as their care partners. So when I look at the team, I like to break apart uh, the members of the team. Before doing so, I want to say that by the time we get this diagnosis, and we all are familiar with the challenges to getting an FTD diagnosis, when we have the diagnosis, I think the most important thing to do at that point is to get your team in place. It's never too soon to get your team in place. Now, usually the first group that we would reach out to for our team to be a part of our care team would be family and friends. Now, because of the unique, I will say, challenges as well as situations um, that FTD presents, age of onset presents um, in, in so many ways some challenges, um, but, but it also, when we're looking at the care team, brings about an opportunity for new members of the team. When, when, when I work with families who are dealing with other forms of dementia, um, later onset dementia, perhaps, over 65. Typically, we see care partners are spouses or adult children. Now, because of the age of onset with FTD, we may see that part of that team could be parents um, of the person with the diagnosis, as well as siblings. And in many situations, I see parents and siblings, as well as spouses, um, and if children are adults, um, involved on that care team. Now, I will mention, because I think this is worthy of, of part of the discussion, that some of those relationships may have been impacted due to the symptoms and perhaps the behavioral expressions, the impulsive behaviors, 
that may have occurred prior to the diagnosis. And so there may be some broken relationships because of that. And so perhaps I would hope um, with a positive idea that family members and friends who may have had impacted relationships from these symptoms, that, that now that we have the diagnosis on board, they might be willing to um, move on past those situations and become a part of the team. It's always the rear view, you know, the clearer we see what happened um, prior to getting that diagnosis and we're able to see it more clearly as a symptom of the disease. And so hopefully we're able to get those, those family and friends on board to be a part of that team. Another obviously vital part of the team is going to be the medical team, your medical providers who, um, and, and I don't mean just that person who's going to give you the diagnosis and do what I call diagnose and adios. You don't want that person, um, but you want a medical team that's going to be actively engaged throughout the progression of FTD um, to kind of help you gauge progression, um, to anticipate changes as they come, and to help get what medical benefits or support might be available for you. Also, we want that medical team on standby for acute symptom management. What do I mean by that? Well, if our loved one has delirium, perhaps from a um, urinary tract infection or dehydration or a med change, then we, we need to have someone that we can go to to help us sort out what is that cause of the delirium and how can we reverse that so that our loved ones aren't experience, um, experiencing even greater obstacles based on um, health issues as well. And then medication management when necessary. Now, I say when necessary because you, in, in the introduction, talked about my focus on non-pharmacological approaches. And, and in my consultations with families, that's always going to be my first approach. We never want to look at, at meds as a solution first. Um, but first, let's look at how can we support this person in non-pharmacological ways. And then in those situations where, and I'm sure Jerry's talked about this in previous podcasts, um, there are times when meds are needed, and so you need that team who understands FTD and understands um, ways to use meds appropriately. Another member of the team that I think is super important for families, and this may be a new resource for some of you, is a life care planning attorney. And what is that? Life care planning attorneys are it's a division of elder care. And with the life care planning firms, you have access not only to that elder care attorney, but often or also you have access to social workers who help through the plan and the progression of the disease. They help plan and manage ongoing care needs, not just doing that initial legal paperwork, but they're also going to help um, plan for transitions throughout the journey. So obviously with any attorney, you're going to want to look at powers of attorney. Um, they can also help with applying for disability, SSDI. Hopefully you all are aware of the Compassionate Allowance. That's the initiative to expedite processing of SSDI and SSI disability claims for applicants whose medical conditions are on this compassionate allowance list. STD is listed as a compassionate allowance disease process. And so 
that is a great way to um, help offset some of the wages or and insurance issues that you may have um, as a result of um, someone who is younger who has experiencing who is experiencing FTD. So the life care planning attorney or elder law attorney can help with that as well. And I wanted just to give a site for that. If you're not familiar with that, you can find more information at www.ssa, Social Security Administration.gov, backslash Compassion and Allowances. So that's a great resource if you're not familiar with that already, which hopefully you all are. Um, also, life care planning attorney can help with FMLA, family medical leave, and other um, legal and financial planning aspects that need to be considered. Um, another great resource that could be a part of the team is a care manager. This is a resource. It's typically nurses and social workers who are paid out of pocket. It's not typically paid through insurance. Um, although some long-term care policies will pay for care management. But a care manager is literally someone who can walk alongside the journey um, with you. We used to say in, when I was a care manager with an organization that we were surrogate daughters. And I do see myself when I'm, when I'm working with a, care, with a family as a care manager that I am. I'm able to step in. But a daughter that that knows a little bit about the disease process, that knows a little bit about caring for someone with dementia. And so a care manager is a great resource to help be a part of that team. They can go to doctor's appointments with your loved one. They can help link you with community resources. Um, they can be there at two o'clock in the morning when there's a crisis. And so it's a, a great resource. Not everyone can afford it, obviously, um, but care management. And you can find resources, local resources, on the National Aging Life Care um, Organization's website. Also, community support. I'm sure that all of you are connected with AFTD. Um, that is a great resource to become part of that team, going to their conferences, going to support groups that they um, sponsor in your area, as well as some local Alzheimer's Association chapters do have specific FTD-based groups. You can find team members within those community resources as well. And then finally, I want to talk about a part of the team, and that is the resources in the community that help us with care. That might be day programs, non-medical home care providers, and dementia care communities when the time is right. Um, they will be a part of the team as well. Um, they, and that's the way I, I prefer to approach it. We're a team and we are going to care for this person together. When I've worked in um, assisted living communities or other arenas where families, um, I get to work with families with FTD, I say, listen, you are an expert in your loved one. And I know a lot about FTD, so how can we work together with our shared knowledge? And so it is a team. Um, and, and these support services can be a part of a team. So that is, is a really, really vital piece of it as well. Also, I don't want to leave out the person with the diagnosis. The team has to always be thinking about how are we supporting the person living with this diagnosis? And then as a team, we come together to determine the goals for care. 
What are our goals? And then any decisions that we make, I always encourage families to to start by looking at what are our goals. At the end of the day, what do we want for this person? And more often than not, the answer that I hear from families is we want this person to be comfortable and have some quality of life. We want this person to live as well as they can with FTD. And so when we come to a fork in the road where decisions have to be made, let's always go back to that um, goal. Let's go back to that as a guiding factor. So if our goal is quality of life and we are considering day program, well, if we think about that through the lens of quality of life, we can look at that a day program can help offer a great amount of enrichment and programming and activities and socialization for the person. And so we want to always use the goal as, uh, as help and lens through which we make decisions. I want to add here, um, um, Rebecca, always look in your community for resources that you're, you didn't, you may not know exist. What, what I'm talking about are like respite grants you would be very surprised. I see a lot of people say, I can't afford a day program. I have received three respite grants to pay for uh, my husband and my mother to go to a day program, and it was just by asking. And sometimes you can Google in your area, respite grants for your area, and you may be very surprised by the number of respite grants and they are not financially based. All three grants, I have never had to say what our income was. So don't be afraid to look for those resources. I think that's a great addition. I'm glad that you mentioned that. And, and that kind of goes back to using community support. Is it the local area agency on aging, or is it the local Alzheimer's Association? Even though we're dealing with STD, those, arena, those agencies tend to know about those types of resources. So we want to reach out. You know, we always talk about no one can do this alone. If you're, if you're siloed at home with your loved one and not reaching out for others, you're not going to learn about those opportunities that, that you said yourself, Sharon, that you were able to come across just accidentally maybe or not so much so. Yeah, it, it actually one of them was, they told me at the daycare program, they said, you know, there's a respite grant. And so I applied. I was even out of the area, and they gave it to us. So don't be afraid to ask for things. And, and just like asking for support in your community, I have been so blessed in this community with this broken femur. They have supplied us with dinner, our community here, for since May 8th. We have not had to cook a dinner. So ask. But when Rod was first diagnosed, I sent out a letter to my neighbors and said, this is what's happened, this is what it is, here are the facts. So everyone was aware that we already had the situation of FTD in the home and my mother living here, and now they see that I've gone down. So they just came out in droves. Don't be afraid to ask. People want to help. I think that's important for us to remember. Um, moving on I think here, you're right. I think, can I just, I just piggyback on that real quick, Sharon, is that people want to help, but they don't know how. And so right. I always encourage caregivers to keep a list 
of things that someone could do. So when that well-intentioned friend says, let me know if I can do anything, rather than just saying, okay, thank you, you say, well, actually, we're really running low on toilet paper because you run to the store or whatever it is that you might need. But keeping a list of tangible ways, because I really do believe people want to help. They just don't know how. Exactly. And I think it's important that you get over the fear of asking. So I, I think mm. that's uh, if we can move on here, Rebecca, to uh, discussing methods to use to control issues that occur with uh, various forms of FTD without adding the drugs. I know that's always the, the the first line of defense, and especially in an assisted living or a memory care, they they really go right for that drug when somebody is, is acting up. And I know you have had TIPA Snow, you are a TIPA Snow uh, certified trainer, and it's so important for us to share that knowledge. So if you could just kind of go over a little bit of that on um, how, how we can help control those issues non-pharmacologically. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, well, you know, as Jerry's taught me in, in previous interactions with her, we have to learn to facilitate the behavior in a safe way rather than trying to stop the behavior. I'll never forget a story that I heard. I think Jerry told me this, um, or maybe it came up in a support group that we co-facilitated in Phoenix. The, um, there was a person whose loved one was eating 10 boxes of Cheerios a day or some obsessive amount of Cheerios. And the family thought, well, this is not good. Let's take the Cheerios away. And unfortunately, when they did, their loved one went to the garage and found nuts and bolts that looked like Cheerios and ate those instead. And so the, the moral to the story was the family said, well, maybe 10 boxes of Cheerios isn't such a bad thing after all. Um, and the, the point that Jerry or whomever I was having this experience with said, you know, it's not about stopping it. You can't stop it. How can you facilitate it? in a safer way. And it's, it's a strategy about not subtracting or taking something away from someone, but rather substituting a safer way to, again, facilitate or manage that symptom or behavioral expression. With that, I, I, I kind of jump on a soapbox here, and, and you'll have to sh share and tell me to stop at some point probably. But, you know, we we learn to decipher behaviors in other populations, for instance, and, and please understand I'm not saying that people with FTD are children, but I want to make the comparison about language and abilities to communicate my unmet needs. If, if an infant were crying and someone said, let's get that baby some Haldol, that would be considered child abuse. So if we have a person who has dementia or changes in their brain and they can't express themselves through their verb, verbal skills, but now they might be expressing themselves through their behavior, why do we suddenly think it's acceptable to first reach for drugs? I, that, that's just a big soapbox of mine. Um, so, yeah, we, we want to get away from that. We want to work with people to find appropriate um, ways to facilitate and keep the person safe, facilitate the behavior, not trying to stop it, but facilitating it. And stop trying to convince the person that their behavior is not right. Um, I, I can't tell you how many times I go back to the, the medical term, and I'm not even sure I'll say it right, but anosognosia. That's that, that inability for the person with FTD to even know um, that they have these symptoms, inability to recognize the, the changes in their brain. So they 
they can't understand it. And I hear families all the time say, well, I've tried to get him to stop doing this, or I've tried to explain why this is not appropriate. And, you know, at some point we have to step back and go, this is FTD. Part of FTD is not being able to recognize the changes. And so we have to stop that. And when we know better, we do better. That's one of my favorite sayings. When we know better, when we understand FTD, when we truly understand how the brain is impacted and the symptoms that the person is experiencing, then we're going to get more creative in our methods and stop reaching for medications. And, and, and you mentioned I'm... with – go ahead. Go ahead. You, you mentioned assisted living facilities or maybe day centers. Um, how can we get them to, to also embrace these approaches versus wanting to use medications? And, and I'll be honest with you, first and foremost, there are some facilities that want to do this and some that don't. There are some daycares, that, day centers that want to work with FTD and some that don't. So you want to find the right team. You want to interview folks before having them as a part of the team. You want to interview them and really ask, what do you know about FTD? And if they think it's the, you know, the floral company, then go somewhere else. If I would ask specifically, tell me about situations where you've had a client with FTD or um, behavioral challenges, and how have you dealt with that? I mean, you're interviewing them. You truly are. You're interviewing them to be a part of the team. And, in fact, when I, when I was talking about the team, I forgot to mention that I, I worked with one family caregiver who literally every single person that was involved with his wife in any way, she had FTD, and anyone who was involved from the person who came to clean their house each week to the caregivers to the people that they encountered at the bank or the restaurants that they ate at, they had this caregiver forced or encouraged, highly encouraged, if you're going to be a part of our life, to read the NIH blue book on frontal temporal disorders. Um, and, and I just love that. He said, it's no, no problem. If you don't want to read the book, that's fine, but you're not going to be part of the team. And so you, you know, you have a right to pick and choose who's a part of that team. That includes the community services, the day programs or assisted livings. So you just have to find the right group of people. And I will tell you that I'm encouraged. I do training around the country for long-term care communities. And I'm encouraged that, that there are some folks around the country who are getting on board and saying, you know, we want to be the place where FTD can happen. We want to be the place where families can come because there has to be an option for families. And so I'm encouraged to see that some, some services are actually stepping up to the plate in that regard. Well, you're going to have to give us those names because, believe me, we've heard horror stories from <laughs> lots of places. So we're going to have to start a, oh. a resource of places that are willing to listen because, boy, sometimes it's hard. Uh, with the day program where, where Rod goes, uh, he wasn't the youngest. I saw a little clip from them, and I could see that people were younger. So I called and went through my – and I'm a pretty good advocate and thought I was asking all the right questions. And shortly after he was there, we had an incident. And um, I went in and I said, okay, uh, you said you knew about FTD, but perhaps not – what Rod is exhibiting. So could we talk about this? 
So I had to intervene even after I put him there. And now we're on great footing. I want to tell you that today they called Rod. Excuse me, but this is very touching to me. They called Rod on his cell. And everybody at the daycare saying happy birthday to him because today is his birthday. Mm. He's unable to go because of my inability to drive. And they called him and sang happy birthday to him. So they are part of our team wow. now. So I think mm, it's that's a great story. Had I not gone to them and said, I don't want you to say no to us. This is what you're experiencing and this is why. Let me help you. And so I stepped back in and said, you said you knew FTD, maybe not as much as you thought, so here's some more information. And it helped. And they are now literally part of our team. I just wanted to share that. With well, that's a great outcome, and I'm so glad that you shared that. And, and I've had similar situations where family members have told facilities or told day programs about um, you know, the education that I can provide. And, and I've been contacted by folks who said, hey, you know, this caregiver, John Doe, whose loved one comes here for day program or, or is in the facility, and they've said that you, you can teach our staff about FTD. And so I think, you know, as a care partner for someone with FTD, first of all, um, unfortunately, or you were a part of this city club that you maybe didn't want to be a part of. Let's just let's just put it like that. I love that from the it is what it is AFTD video where the gentleman says, you know, you're a part of this shitty club. And I think that that's part of it is accepting that you are. And, and what that means is that you're the student about FTD, but you're also the teacher in so many situations. Sharing the story you just shared was, you know, you yourself are learning about it. It's kind of learning as you go, and along the way, you've also become the teacher for other people for the day program and for family members, and so advocacy, you were a great advocate in that scenario, and that's what, as care partners of folks with FTD, advocacy is part of our new role, and so you will become an advocate, and I think, you know, that's one of the most important things to think about when you get that diagnosis is, okay, um, accepting first that, hey, this is my new role, and maybe this isn't a role that I would have picked, but it picked me, and now I get to help others understand it. So the next person that walks this journey may not have to encounter some of the challenges that we have. Now the next person that tries to, um, you know, that, that brings a loved one with FTD to Rod's day program, it's going to be a better experience because of what you've taught them. That's awesome. Yeah, and I, and I think it's important for us to understand that even though the, a lot of the medical community does not understand this diagnosis, if we don't advocate, if we don't step out of our comfort zone and talk about it, even if our person doesn't acknowledge, I'm fortunate, Rod acknowledges, but and I can only imagine having someone say, there's nothing wrong with me, but if you can't step outside and educate your life is going to deteriorate. And um, I think advocacy is just as much for each of us as caregivers as it is for the person with a diagnosis because it, it helps us to make people understand this disease. And I always say I will not rest until FTD stands for frontotemporal degeneration and not a floral delivery service. I will talk and talk. <laughs> 
So um, I, I'm, we're getting really close to the end here, uh, Rebecca, and we've pretty much touched on everything that we wanted to touch on except the respite uh, issue of when the person that we're caring for does not want to be away from us and we need the respite. Um, I'm, we might push this over. Um, Rebecca is going to be with us again next month, and we're going to talk about icky parts next month. And by icky parts, I mean that hypersexuality that just absolutely can just club you in the head. And, and I have to say it's it, uh, several times. So please join us next month. We, we're going to put this respite question over, if that's all right with you, Rebecca. And um, mm -hmm. I really thank you for, for coming on today. You've given us so many things to think about. I so appreciate your time. And next month we'll get into those icky parts, and we'll also talk about respite and how to get it and how to handle it. And, um, again, I thank you so much, Rebecca, for well, thank you for having me, and I look forward to connecting again next month. So um, remember, everyone, that we have our FTD chat on Monday nights on caregiving.com. Please join us. It's a great group of people. We share ideas and information and sometimes even recipes. So it's kind of a loose group, but, you know, you're, you're typing and it's, it, you're in a chat room. So it's on caregiving.com. Please join us on Mondays, and then next month, our uh, podcast will be on June 22nd at 2 o'clock Eastern Time. Join us then. Talk about the icky parts. and <laughs> That's all I could call them because, believe me, they've bitten me many times. <laughs> so we're going to talk about those next month. So pass on to Jerry your well wishes through Facebook and her recovery, and we hope she'll be back soon.